Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm New. They fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, we've so far gone through Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and now today we start Romans chapter 3. Now, your Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses all sectioned out like we have today. As the original Greek was translated into Latin and then German and English, other languages, you know, uh, editors divided up the text to make it easier to read and study. And so Romans is just one really big letter that Paul wrote, but clearly there's divisions that he makes as he writes. And you're going to see his thoughts begin to shift a little bit here, even in this chapter, from one to to the next. And so uh, the the first section of Romans is actually going to start to wrap up right here in chapter 3. He actually wraps the whole thing up with the conclusion of Romans chapter 4. But you can see see the shift kind of start happening here. And so what Paul is going to really bring into focus in this chapter um, is the greatness of God. G.K. Chesterton, he he said uh, at one point that, that, that one of the best things Christians could do is to reflect on the greatness of God. You know, God is, is just, He's so big, right? He's so infinite in every way. He's infinite in His love and His grace and His mercy all towards you. Uh, he knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts, your body, your weird little quirks. You know, like, I mean, God knows everything. St. Patrick once said it like this about the omnipresence of, of Christ, meaning He's everywhere. Uh, he said this, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win, Christ to comfort me and to restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in the quiet, Christ in the danger, Christ in all hearts uh, that love me. Uh, God is, is just, He's everywhere, right? God is infinite. And he, he, know, he knows every bird, every insect, every cloud, every part of creation. And I think we We've kind of lost sight of that. I think we've lost sight of the greatness of God because we made Him so small to fit within our own understanding of just who God is. And the truth is, man, God is just, He's so big. Before we go any further, can I just, you know, for a moment get you to think about the greatness of God? Like, think about this. Like, God loves you. He loves me so much. He came to, to be with us, to be one of us, so we could one day be where He is. Jesus is fully God and fully uh, man. He comes to earth to be one of us, right? He lives this human life. He goes through all the weird, awkward stages of middle school adolescence. (laughs) He thirsts, he hungers, he needs sleep. He experiences life as we do. Then he dies and rises again. And as he ascends back into heaven, he's not just some disembodied spirit. Like he's not a ghost. He's human as we are. So follow me here. Now that we have this Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, whenever you pray to the Lord, Scripture tells us that it's Jesus who intercedes. John 14. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? That no one comes to God except through me. And so it's Jesus pleading your case. And when he does, we have, as the author of Hebrews says, someone who who gets it, someone who understands what it means to be human, to go through what you're going through. And because he has been there and done that, because he's fully man, he understands your pain. He died for that pain. He gets it. And he knows how to plead your case and deal with your issues because he's not some far off, distant, divine 
being. He's both God and man. And I'm telling you today, man, like that'll preach by itself. God is great. And yet we make him to be so small. You ever wondered why we struggle to comprehend God? Yeah, I, I think we, we, we treat things in our culture kind of like this, you know, like if we don't understand it, we, we do what? We dismiss it. But when we do that, we're embracing our own desire for power to be our own God, really. Like we don't accept God's greatness because we struggle with hard questions and issues. Like why do good things happen to bad people? Why isn't God answering my prayers all the time? Or even if we're honest, discouragement. Because a lot of times the people of God who believe in God, well, they're, they're really not all that great, <laughs> right? What I want to show you today from the text is that Paul is writing to his readers in Rome is that not only is God great, but God is working and he never stops working. Now, this text in Romans 3 gets a little heady at times. It gets kind of academic a little bit, but we're going to tie it all together here at the end in a way that I think is going to be really impactful for you. So I said a minute ago that God is working and that's true. God's working in spite of us, okay? In spite of us. God doesn't need your permission to be God. He doesn't need you to tell him it's okay for him to, you know, work here and there. He's God, and he's going to do what he needs to do and work as he should with or without you. Why? Because God is greater. And we see that greatness of God at work at the start of Romans chapter 3. Now, before we jump into this text, I just want to remind you of where we are in Romans. If you remember last week as we finished Romans chapter 2, Paul makes it a point to say that you're not part of God's people simply because you're, you're Jewish. The issue isn't ethnicity or physical circumcision that sets you apart as a Jew. The issue is spiritual. A changed life happens spiritually. And a changed life can even move God to praise that person for seeking to live for the Lord. And it's within this framework that Paul starts Romans 3 with this question. Look at Romans 3 verse number 1. Now, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Well, yeah, there's great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. He's talking about the law here, which is the, the, the word of God. And let me just stop for a second. If you were Jewish, all right, you had an advantage in, in this sense, that God entrusted the law to you. So God had appointed Israel as his people for a couple of reasons. One, Paul's already touched on here, they had the law, the word of God. But they were also given possession of that law and were instructed to teach the others of the word of God as well. So that's the Tanah, the Pentateuch, the prophets, the songs, the Proverbs, a, a great chunk of your Old Testament. God brought his word through the nation of Israel. But here's the second reason too, Israel would produce the Messiah. So the Savior would come from the Jewish people. Now that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God tells Eve it's through her descendants that Satan would be defeated. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and, and, and shows that as well. So back to this notion of Israel being entrusted with God's law. This is really important. You'd think that God would entrust his law with some really good people, wouldn't you? But if you read the Old Testament, you'll see Israel and Judah are like, they're wild. Like at times, they're pretty messed up. Some of the worst stories of human depravity take place in the Old Testament. And that's not to say that God made a mistake, because he didn't. He's God. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. You know, he, he, he's perfect. But what that shows us is that God can do a lot of things through broken people. 
Take Samson, for instance. Samson has this mighty superhuman strength, and you know, it's like the Jewish Hercules, okay? He's supposed to never cut his hair and wear it in seven braids, not because the hair is the source of his power, his source is God, all right? But because he's a Nazarite. Nazarites took really strict vows they would live by, but Samson breaks almost all of them. And God used Samson only when his spirit would suddenly come upon him. It's a great example of how God can do incredible things to any one person, even those who are broken. God doesn't need your perfection or permission to be God. He's going to do his thing. He's going to work in spite of you. Look at verse number three. Paul says, true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? So like just because David was unfaithful to the Lord at times, and Samson, as we certainly talked about, Solomon, wow, Solomon, definitely. Does it mean that God isn't great? No, like God is moving in spite of us, in spite of our failures. He's bigger than you mishandling his name. Like your smallness or sinfulness doesn't make God any less God. He's still working. Can I tell you, in spite of us, God is still great. Everyone's welcome at Radiant Church to get offended by Jesus. We don't, we don't have it all figured out yet. We're not asking you to, to have it all figured out either, to become part of this church community. Like Jesus died and rose again to give you new life, right? And that's what we want for you. We want you to have new life. Let him change you. Let him have his way in your life and have his way in your heart. And that, by the way, is an ongoing process. We don't stop going through that. I, I've heard it said before like this, that Jesus didn't die for your sins. He died for sin. He died for the condition sin brings, separation from God, right? Spiritual decay. He came to die and rise again so that we could, you know, be, you know, He could deal with your heart and your life and give you that condition of freedom and forgiveness and the life that He has for you, you know? So God, is He unfaithful, Paul says? Man, no way. Look at verse number four. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. And as the scriptures say about Him, you'll be proved right in what you say and you'll win your case in court. That's a pretty big statement by Paul. He's saying, even if no one agrees with any of this kind of stuff, it's just me out here, I get still true. Why? Because God is true. And God will never be a liar. He'll never be a hypocrite. He'll always be true. You don't hold God to account. You don't judge God. He's above that. He's greater. He is truth. And that means you don't hold God accountable for the actions of others either, including other Christians. Here's why. Because God is good in spite of us. He's good in spite of us. It's tough to believe in God for so many when his people don't measure up. But God is still working in spite of us. And he's still good in spite of us as well. Listen to the next few verses that Paul writes. Verse number five. But, some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for Him to punish us? This is merely a, a human point of view. Of course not. If God were entirely, not entirely fair, how would He be qualified to judge the world? So in other words, like we don't live out our sin intentionally so we can force God's goodness to be revealed, Paul's saying. Verse number 7. But, someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights His truthfulness and brings Him glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, hey, the more we sin, the better it is. Well, those who say such things, they deserve to be condemned. Alright, so what Paul is getting at, and he's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit here too, 
is he, he's, he's ministering and planting churches and training leaders and, and, and preaching and all that for like, you know, 20, 20 years really at this point. And he can pretty much anticipate what the objections and questions are going to be from his readers. And he already senses there's going to be some folks who are going to say, well, hey, like if I send more, it helps God more because it shows how good God is, how bad I am, isn't that great? And what Paul's getting at here, what he's saying is, he's like, nah, that's not true. In fact, he's going to argue against that in the coming verses. Like, you don't abuse the freedoms you have in Christ by walking around in unresolved sin. You don't get to live however you want because God's grace and mercy and forgiveness have covered you. Like, that's not how all this works. And so for Paul, like his part, he, he's telling his readers to condemn that way of thinking. That kind of life would show you haven't been changed by the power of God. In fact, he keeps going in, in verse number nine. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. No one's seeking God. All have turned away and all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Paul starts to go on a rant, and this is something he does quite a bit if you read his letters. But look at what he says here. Did you notice the groundwork he starts to lay showing all people have fallen short of God's glory? He's, he's setting up for Romans 3.23, which we'll get to next week. No, no, nobody's good. Everyone must be saved. No one's righteous. No one has a good heart. Man, this just flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? Like We, we don't want to believe that. But we're not inherently good beings with a good nature. And I know we want to believe the best in everybody, and we want everyone to be inherently good and choose the path you know, of, of, of what's right and not evil, but it's just not so. That's not a biblical worldview of humanity. Paul even goes on to give all kinds of examples in verses 13 through 18, showing the depravity of mankind. And, 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 and he does that because he's making the point that if you lean into the law or religion or behavior modification, like you're nothing. And he starts this question, are we Jews, are we better? You know, are we who've been entrusted with God's law, or we who produce the Messiah, are we better than everybody else? And the answer is no, because no one is better apart from Christ. And I know you, you, you want to say, yeah, but pastor, like we don't know their hearts. That's true. That's true, because only God does. But I will tell you that all of our hearts are bent towards sin and evil and darkness. Not one of us has their heart leaning in towards the Lord without the work of the Holy Spirit. We are not naturally inclined to chase after God. We are naturally inclined to do our own thing, live our own way, and for ourselves. But we really want this social gospel to be true, don't we? Like, we really want the guy who visited all the old ladies in the hospital to be good enough. We want the neighbor who bought all the Girl Scout cookies to be okay, for sure, right? Like, we, we think the couple who opened their home to that other couple who had nowhere to go, was homeless. Well, surely they're good enough. And I've said it before, man, you cannot preach people into heaven. Funerals have high emotions. Everyone wants Tim or Bob or Sue to get into heaven and look down and smile and we're told they're great folks and all that. But the truth is, apart from Jesus, you have no hope. You're not good enough. You can't ever be good enough. And that is a hard truth to accept in our cultural climate today. The point of this text is that God is good. He's great in spite of us and our shortcomings. But God is also better than we can imagine. Verse number 19. 
Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Can anyone uphold the law? Well, no, because that's exhausting. We talked about that last week, right? I mean, if you try reading Leviticus, <laughs> you're going to get worn out just from the effort. Uh, you'll read about three rules that you can follow, and then like, you'll find ten more that you can't. And that's Paul's point. The power of the law reveals to us what God expects. You have God's standards and measurements in the law itself. It informs you of your sin. But now that Jesus has come into the picture and paid the penalty for breaking the law, man, everything's changed. So the law serves as like a, a speed limit sign, right? Speed limits do what? They, they guide you. They tell you when you're going too fast. So when you get pulled over and the officer is like, did you know you're going 65 and a 35? And you say, no, sir. He can laugh at you and point to the sign. You zoom past 50 feet earlier, right? Like the law shows you're breaking God's standards. Now, obeying and following the law, that, that's, just, that's not God's plan for you. The purpose was to direct us to, to Christ, who alone could fulfill the law, who in fact is the fulfillment of God's grace and mercy towards us. The law was not designed to save you. It's designed to point you to the one who can save you, which is Jesus Christ himself. And look at what Paul says in verse number 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. See what he says there? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So you, you can't work your way in. You can't earn salvation. You can, you can change your behavior, uh, but that's only going to get you so far. That's not going to get you in. You know? None of that's going to help you. In fact, I, I would tell you to stop trying your best to be obedient at the expense, listen to me, of being more intimate. God wants relationship with you. He wants your heart. He wants all of your life. Now, Paul's going to wrap it up here by saying this in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So we're starting to tie it all together here. God is good in spite of your obedience or lack thereof. And since Jesus himself in Matthew 5 states that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's the fulfillment of the law, here's what God does. He uses the law to point you to Jesus. And then he holds Jesus accountable for his own obedience to the law. Only Jesus could perfectly fulfill it. And since he did fulfill it, when you place your faith in Christ, you are counted as having fulfilled the law as well, but not because of anything you did, because you've placed your faith in Christ who did fulfill it. You have a relationship with Christ who could do what no man could, perfectly measure up to the standards that God set. I say, what in the world does all this mean? It means apart from Christ, you're utterly hopeless. You can't rely on your own obedience, your own knowledge. You can't place your own faith in yourself to fulfill something that you were never meant to fulfill in the first place. It's impossible for you to do what Jesus did. See, we have to be reprogrammed, I think, here, especially in the West, from religion. Like, you don't need to obey more. <laughs> you need to be more. You need to be more connected with Jesus, more intimate with Jesus, more in tune and in relationship with Jesus. Christianity is not about doing. It's about being. It's about trying to, not, 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 not trying to obey, obey every rule and follow every perfectly you know, laid out law or, or regulation, because you'll never make it. What, what you'll do if you do that kind of thing is you'll turn to somebody who's 
who's bitter and religious and, and just judgmental. God's working in spite of us. He's, he's working, he's good because of us. He's so much better than we could ever imagine, even though his attention's on everything else happening in the universe. God still has time for you. You're still on his mind. So much so that he wants to fill you with the Spirit and give you more Jesus, give you more grace, give you more freedom. And so what if we did something a little different? What if, what if we kind of wrap this up and we just spent time reflecting on the greatness of God? What if we just sought more of him? What happens if, if we do that? Well, I think we're starters. All those things you think are so big in your life become pretty small. Like, God, I need you to fix my marriage. He's like, is that it? <laughs> God, I need you to provide for my family. I got to have a job. And he's like, son, I own everything. I'll take care of that. God, I need you to fix this issue I've had for years. I'm tired of coming back to it. I want to get free of it. And God's just kind of like, man, I got you. You know, if you read the Psalms, you'll read about all kinds of great stuff the authors say about God. And every now and then, you'll see this little word which appears after a few stanzas, and it's called Selah. There's a lot of ideas about what Selah means, but, but one I've always found interesting was that it was placed there as the author's way of saying, you need to reflect on what was just said. Reflect on the greatness, the goodness, and the holiness of God. And so if you're watching or listening right now, you just say, Pastor... I, I, I just, I'm so overwhelmed with all the things happening in my life in this world right now. Like, I, I don't know what to... Stop, take a deep breath, slow down, and reflect on the greatness of God and who He is, of how He's got you, of how He'll take care of you, of how God is... is he, he knows, man, what you need before you ask. How God can meet every, every issue, heal every, every physical issue, mental issue, emotional issue that you got how God can care for you. We serve a great, great God. You don't have to work hard for Him. You don't have to obey every single law because you can't do it anyway, right? You just have to simply open up your heart and say, Lord, I want more of you. I need more of you. I want to be with you. I want this relationship to thrive and take off, man. The greatness of God. When you think about how great God is, Everything else really just seems so small, doesn't it? Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. There are those who are watching and listening, and, and, and they are just overwhelmed. Life throws all kinds of things our way. God, I pray for comfort and joy and peace, but God, I pray in this moment, they'll begin to reflect and realize just how great you are. May all the things that seem overwhelming and huge and just massive become small as they realize how great you are, how you can care for them, how you can meet their need, how you can uh, take their, their, their obedience, <laughs> that work they're putting into, the striving to do things right. God, how you can take all that and put it aside. Let them know, Lord, that forgiveness and salvation and, and, and joy, it's all theirs if they just simply choose to be with you, if they choose relationship and not religion, if they choose to let go and just let you be. I, I just pray, Lord, that you will comfort those folks today and that, God, we would realize just how great, infinite you are. 
Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, to fulfill the law. We, we could never do that on our own. We can never purposely obey your word, but Jesus could and he did. And because of him, we have access to you and life and freedom and healing and forgiveness and all those things that we so desperately need. God, I thank you for him. And I thank you for what you've done through him. And I thank you for giving us this opportunity to place our faith in Jesus to have access to that. You truly are a great God. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.